You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hello and welcome to The Good GP. I'm Sean Stevens, and today it's my pleasure to interview Dr. Lisa Chandler, who's a clinical psychologist and chair-elect of the Australian Psychological Society's College of Clinical Psychologists. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Excellent. Well, let's leap straight into it. We're talking about generalised anxiety disorder, or GAD. Lisa, isn't that just a term for being a warrior? I think that's a typical thought amongst uh, uh, GPs. Um, I like to think of GAD as a bit of the, uh, the sneaky disorder. It tends to be the sneaky and silent one that's um, often misunderstood and disregarded or, or mislabeled as perhaps depression and or panic disorder. But essentially, GAD is a disorder, a worry. But it's a disorder, and so it's associated with this high impact on life. And it's, some of the symptoms were very severe and associated with lots of distress. And those folk who have GAD often perceive their symptoms as being uncontrollable. It's one of the cardinal experiences that they feel that their physical sensations and their worries are are uncontrollable. They just can't manage them. And then, of course, all these strong physical sensations of tension and so forth. So while it might be a worrying disorder, it is a disorder. And being a worrier and having a worry disorder is not the same thing. It's not the same thing. And, of course, then there's, there's you know, the, the worrying person, you know, these people, some of us who have always been worriers, you know, oh, yes, that person's always, I've always been a bit of a worrier. And yeah. it's not quite the same thing, right? There's a Sometimes we're more prone to be worrying just by nature and a personality type. But that's, yeah. and that may or may not be GAD. You may have a comorbid person who's a bit of a worrying person, but then the GAD can be, is quite separate and be quite distinct. Saying that GAD is just another term for worrier tends to kind of minimise the morbidity because these people with GAD, they suffer and they're more associated with the than suicidality and then we might like to hope so I might like to think so you know it kind of minimizes it that notion of being a worrier you know rather mm. than actually it's really important to get the label and to get the diagnosis right so we can get those people to the right treatment look I think that's that's a very good point you make it's really the morbidity that people suffer with GAD and when you actually identify it, a lot of people are embarrassed about talking about it or or feel that they've been dismissed previously yeah, yes. so Yes. Yeah. I think it is very important that we do identify it. I really agree. I see it as a bit of the poor cousin, you know, and it's often minimised, yeah. or as I said, mislabeled. And, and I find with some of my clients with GAD, when I, when I identify and say, this is, this is not postnatal depression or this is not panic disorder, this is GAD and you are really suffering. I can see that you are really suffering and we need to get you some treatment. There's a kind of a sense of relief because someone yeah. is taking their their suffering and their distress seriously and not dismissing them as being just a worrier, you know, just one of the yeah. worried well, yeah. if you like, but it's a problem yeah. with a treatment um, that we can use to help. So that sort of takes us on, I guess, to my next question. How can GAD be best identified in general practice, taking into account the fact that general practitioners generally have 15-minute appointment, whereas psychologists have that, you know, sort of 45 minutes to an hour? Yeah. What are some sort of key questions we can ask or key signs that we may see for people with GAD? Um, I'd be looking for unexplained physical sensations of anxiety and, and worries about key themes of health, finances and safety of family members, of course, in the absence of any medical problems. 
And then there's this notion of worrying about worry. That often clients with GAD worry uh, about their worries. They think their worries are going to harm them. I'm going to worry myself to death. I'm going to worry mm. myself into a physical problem. That's yeah. one area. Okay. And for some of the questions that you might consider would be things like, do you find yourself spending a lot of time worrying about things or experiencing lots of physical sensations? One question. Do you find it hard to control the worries? Do they feel like you just can't manage them? That's sort of a theme of a question. And then asking questions about, do you have lots of physical sensations such as feeling restless or keyed up or very irritable, having trouble concentrating? So those kind of three questions differentiate between the other contenders, for which might be panic disorder or health anxiety. I guess GPs see a lot of health anxiety who are more likely to be the worried well, if you like, who have those frequent presentations for benign, minor physical ailments that I think take up a lot of GP time. Well, I suspect they do. Those three questions help tease out those differences between GAD and those other disorders. That's great. Thank you. Do you know of any online resources that we can direct patients to to assist with the diagnosis? Well, I know you guys use the DAS-21. And the anxiety and stress scales from that are pretty good at picking up um, GAD because they focus on physical sensations, especially the stress and the anxiety scale. You get a lot of focus on physical sensations that are relevant to GAD. So I'd start with that one. There's also one more that's very brief and online, which is the GAD-7. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's online and you can plug into it and self-scores and in about two minutes or one minute, a client would have a bit of an idea of whether it looks like a GAD or not. Oh, that's a great resource. I I know the DAS and use the DAS regularly, but GAD-7. Yeah, it's a real goodie. It's a real goodie. It's been around. Um, Psychologists tend to use kind of more specific psychological tools, but for you guys trying to do quick and dirty assessments to work out whether this needs to go to a clinical site or whether this is something medical or whether it's panic disorder or what it might be, the GAD's pretty good at being very specific in its focus. I guess the DAS is more... DAS is a bit more general, but great starting point. The GAD-7 is uh, very specifically focused on the kind of signs and symptoms you'd associate with GAD. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. Okay, then once we've identified GAD or GAD, what are some evidence-based methods for treating generalised anxiety disorder? First place we'd start would be with the so-called NICE or NICE guidelines which you may have heard of, and they've got, yes. yep, they've got some specific guidelines for the treating GAD, and they're stepped, as most of the psychological psychiatric diagnoses are. The guidelines are stepped, starting off from the sorts of care that doctors could provide, uh, recommending things like the low-intensity interventions. It's some identification. I think it's really beneficial for a GP to be able to say, ah, yes, this looks like GAD, this is what you're experiencing, yes, I understand, your symptoms aren't going to kill you, they're not even going to harm you, but they feel scary and your worry won't hurt you, but it might feel like it. And some of that knowledge goes a long way to helping people think differently about the symptoms. In a bit like panic disorder when you have that heart sensation and you think, oh, my God, I'm going to die. And the psychoeducation around that is a huge part in the recovery because once a client starts to think about the heart palpitations in a benign way, then, yeah. you know, the meaning of it shifts. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's pretty similar with GAD. Once a client will start to realise that those worries they have are harmless, unpleasant nonetheless, but harmless yeah. to their health, 
it goes a long way to rethinking their ongoing symptoms because they can continue to to interpret their symptoms and you know oh this is a this is normal won't harm me and I, I don't need to worry about the worries I can just ignore them and that goes some yeah. way it's not it's not enough and it might be enough for some people so that's that first yeah. step yeah that GA that, that GADs that GPs can provide um, <laughs> <laughs> we do get a bit anxious sometimes training this, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It can confuse, be confusing. But the next step would be um, some self-help, some in, um, individual work, perhaps um, some of the websites. And then from there, of course, clinical psychs would be the next focus, referring out to GPs, to psychologists. Uh, and I'm a bit of a fan of the meta-psychology approach, but CBT generally, applied relaxation, and these are the two key modalities that have the best evidence based. Yeah. Um, there's growing evidence base for ACT, uh, but at the moment, the best evidence we have is for CBT. And, and it, within the CBT, there's a bunch of different approaches. And I tend to favour the metapsychology approach, which is the kind of worry about worry. And that yeah. that's what maintains most of GADs. Not so much that you have physical sensations or even worries. But it's the meaning we make of them, that those worries are, that I should worry because it helps me or worrying is bad for me, those kind of clusters. And so it's a very cognitive model, but it helps very much to to let go of the meaning, the dangerous meaning of these particular sensations. They're the uh, principal approaches, evidence-based treatments that are in the literature and that I'd recommend for you guys to consider when you're referring out to clinical sites, that if you're looking for specific strategies to treat GAD, not just, you know, yeah. anxiety treatment or but actually focused GAD yeah. treatments. And, of course, okay. a little bit of evidence for SSRIs and for those people who've got the most severe uh, GAD, thinking one of my clients who had lifelong GAD and then in the postnatal period became more severe and ended up in hospital. We have a psychiatrist involved and we had to hospitalise her. Of course, medication was part of that process as well as regular clinical psych treatment. So, you know, you can go right from quite low-level treatments to intense yeah. inpatient crisis services. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's like, a, well, it's not just psychological treatments. It's right across medicine. There's that stepwise approach. Absolutely. And it's really useful. Yeah, you've mentioned a couple of things that GPs can do. You touched briefly on websites and things. And something I'd like to put a plug in for is the website Beacon 2.0, um, which links to and reviews other resources grouped into psychological categories. And there's a number there that they um, talk about with GAD. Great, sounds great. Very useful, yeah. And that's, you know, one of the middle steps that that you mentioned. Yes. So if we look now about prognosis, do people with GAD recover or is it something they've got to manage lifelong? It's a good question. I guess the answer is yes and no. So I tend to think of... GAD and the evidence would show that it, it's quite episodic. Mm-hmm. So a client comes to me with GAD that often had it a very long time. It's not like panic disorder. Often you, sometimes you'll get a client that's had their first panic attack and they've been to the emergency room, they go back to their GP. GP says, yes, you, this is panic disorder and here's a referral to a clinical psych. <laughs> yeah. right. And six sessions later they've recovered and they never have another panic attack or if they do, they know what it is, they manage it. But GAD often suffered in silence for many years. They've minimize it themselves they've 
thought it was panic disorder, or they haven't had it treated. They finally get to the GP. GP says, go and see a clinical site. And so you've got that, you know, years and years of unwellness, if you like, to deal with. So the initial phase of treatment might go on for sort of 12 sessions with a clinical site, and they recover. They're looking great. Send them on their way. Um, I usually send them on their way with a bit of a warning. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that this is likely to reemerge under times of stress. Old habits die hard. And I think of... Uh, the GAD is a bit of like the wolf in sheep's clothing. It will bring to you something that tells you that you need to worry about, that you need to think about. It's very important that you think about this thing and then the worry will grab you and take you on this journey of of worry and uh, take you deeper and deeper into this black hole of worry before someone like me comes along and says, hey, can you see this? This is your GAD. It's taken you for a ride again. It's, it's made you yeah. think that this is a problem. You need to sort out. But this is not a thing that's actually even happening. It's a worry that's constructed by your GAD mind to make you upset. Yeah. Sometimes you get these clients, well, oh, no, it's got me again. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes then they, with a booster session or two, they feel much better, go away. And I have clients that I have seen on and off for years, but mostly on and off, you know, just the major work's been done and we do some booster sessions from time to time. Um, to help remind them to use their skills and their strategies that they may have let slide <laughs> along the way. Yeah. yeah. So there are studies showing significant symptom reduction, you know, sort of the 60%. You know, we've got a way to go. And so I think it's wise to prepare our clients for the likelihood is that this little wolf in sheep's clothing will, will reemerge and to be aware of it just to minimise yeah. the, the likelihood of um, relapse. You know, maybe a little slip couple of booster sessions do the job and uh, yeah. they're back in business. That's good to know. And it's good for us to be able to explain that to patients as well. Yeah, mm. yes. Okay. So just my last question, I always like to wrap up and leave our listeners with three take-home messages. So what three take-home messages would you have for time-poor GPs? I'd really like GPs to consider GAD as a potential diagnosis for clients reporting high levels of physical symptoms with anxiety and to consider uh, referring to clinical psychs for treatment when they pick up these symptoms. Um, I'd be watching out for minimizers, you know, the ones that say vague things like I've got stomach aches or stomach pains and aches and pains and tension, but aren't really reporting very clear signs and often in men. And I would suggest that they're the ones that have probably got a GAD, but they haven't got the language for it. Yeah. I know something's not right. They've had it a long time. They've had enough and they want some help, but they haven't quite got the way to express it. So considering GAD as a possibility, refer on and watch out for the minimizers. Yeah. Great lessons. Thank you very much for your time today, Lisa. Really, really appreciate it. Pleasure. And um, I'm sure that we'll see the rates of diagnosis of GAD in the <laughs> the use of GAD7 go through the roof. Terrific. So thank you very much for your time and uh, look forward to speaking again. Thanks very much. Mm